0: Welcome back to the podcast. My name is Luke Tulloch and today we're going to talk about refeeds and diet breaks. It's going to be a pretty brief one because I feel that this space is a little bit overcomplicated, and it should be pretty straightforward. So we'll get right into it. Now, when I talk about this, we're essentially talking about diet periodization. So we periodize training, we change the reps, the sets, the rest periods, etc. But we can also change the nutrition variables, and these need to be changed at times to elicit the desired response from our training and our body. So, this encompasses things like calorie cycling, cheat meals, time off of dieting, when to raise calories, when to lower calories, and when to change certain macronutrients. So, there's a little bit involved, but it is pretty straightforward. Sometimes we periodize our nutrition and change our nutrition variables because we need it for uh, psychological reasons, so mental reasons, and sometimes we need it for physiological reasons. But the diet in general should always match your evolving goals, your levels of physical activity, uh, your type of training, and where all of that is moving and any changes in your lifestyle. And that doesn't mean that we're trying to change things all the time. It just means that we should try and match our nutrition to what's going on in our lives. The main part where this gets interesting is when we have energy restriction. So when we're dieting and we are in a calorie deficit, our body and our brain resist this prolonged energy restriction uh, through multiple mechanisms. And a lot of this is governed primarily by this top-down signaler called leptin, the hormone produced in your brain that is related to uh, satiety and energy stores. Now, I'm not going to get into leptin too in depth in this podcast, because it's just going to run away and be a little bit irrelevant, and I want to keep it very practical. But basically, leptin is this top-down signaler that influences a bunch of different organ systems and a bunch of different hormones. It can result in reduced energy expenditure just via reduced movement. It can result in increased hunger. It can result in increased energy seeking behavior. Like I mentioned, reduced NEAT, non-exercise activity thermogenesis, reduced thyroid signaling, changes changes in mood, changes in sleep. And all of that is going to affect your energy expenditure and your energy intake. So these are protective mechanisms from what the brain perceives as a sudden drop in energy availability. And so we are uh, resisting prolonged energy restriction through multiple pathways, and that's all governed primarily by leptin acting through a variety of different hormones and systems. We know that when we diet, our metabolism essentially slows down a little bit. So, ordinarily, if we want to calculate someone's resting metabolic rate, what we would do is take their biological sex. We would then calculate their, uh, based off of their body mass, and we could work out to a fair degree of accuracy how many calories they would require at rest. And then we can use any sort of activity factor to add in the calories that are used with physical activity. Now, what happens is when you diet, that equation goes out the window a little bit. Let's say we had a 100 kilogram person. If we went through that process of calculating their basal metabolic rate, their BMR, we would arrive at a certain value. But if we had that same 100 kilogram person and they had been dieting for 10 weeks and they used to weigh 105 kilos, the equation wouldn't work the same way. The body actually slows your metabolism down to a point where you are now not expending the amount of energy that we would expect for someone of your weight. So all that means is that this is a natural and very predictable reduction in metabolic rate that occurs as a result of dieting, of energy restriction. It is a normal response, it's completely recoverable, but it does make dieting a little bit more difficult. It means that, Uh, As you go along and your basal metabolic rate slows down a little bit, it can be harder and harder to continue to lose weight. So the idea of using something like a refeed or a diet break is to try and offset that metabolic adaptation. We're trying to break that cycle and allow hormonal levels and metabolic rate to recover and then going into another period of dieting. Now, these are the physiological reasons for having a refeed or a diet break. But psychologically, it can also be a little easier to deal with if you've been dieting for some time to have a bit of a break from the diet or to get some sort of a reward or to feel like you can now uh, mitigate some of that adaptive thermogenesis, the changes in metabolic rate induced by dieting. Um, And so the concept of a refeed came in. Now, these are often referred to as cheat meals, and I just want to make a point about this before I continue. I really hate the terminology cheat meal for a couple of reasons. Firstly, they're planned anyway, so why are they a cheat meal? You're not cheating on your diet if you've planned it in. Secondly, the terminology around cheating is not a good idea for someone who's dieting. There are some people for which using the terminology cheat meal doesn't make them feel guilty, it doesn't really change their associations with food, and it's not a problem at all. But there are many people out there where it does create this issue of cheating being an issue, so or inducing guilt, I should say. So you know, feeling guilty about this planned increase in calories shouldn't really be occurring. Um, and you can start to create associations around certain foods, certain calorie intakes, uh, by using the terminology of a cheat meal. So I prefer the terminology refeed, and it might seem a bit nitpicky, but trust me, when as soon as you've worked with someone who has psychological or emotional issues around food, it'll make 100% sense. Secondly, there are two parts of the reward system um, that are involved with hedonic eating, so eating for pleasure. The first part is actually the physical act of eating and and being able to enjoy whatever you're eating, but the, the, the main part is actually the anticipation of that reward. And there is some research to show that the anticipation of the reward can actually greater um, than the uh, actual achieving of that of that reward. So the lead up to the cheat meal, the anticipation of the cheat meal has a more powerful signaling system involved with it for many people than actually achieving and eating that cheat meal and actually enjoying it. So for some people who are vulnerable to that kind of uh, hormonal signaling that 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 neurotransmitter signaling mediated mainly by dopamine, you can create addictive behaviors. So we know that in drug addicts, um, they tend to have less of a dopamine reward signal occurring when they actually use a drug. And the anticipation of using it creates a much stronger signal. So you get into the cycle of the anticipation being almost unbearable, And then, you know, finally being able to use the drug and it actually doesn't produce the effect that you were hoping for, to the same extent, it doesn't produce that pleasure that you expected. And I'm not trying to draw a parallel between drug use and food, because I think they are a bit different. But you could certainly make the argument that for some people, uh, the way their dopamine signaling works, it may make them more vulnerable to that kind of behavior. And so you just have to be careful with setting up cheat meals for that reason. Now, I don't want to completely demonize the cheat meal or the refeed because I do think they have some utility and it's definitely a tool you can use with most people. It's just something you need to be aware of. All right, so let's talk a little bit more about the refeed itself. The idea behind it is basically that it's thought to reset your metabolic rate, um, to help reset your leptin sensitivity, to increase your leptin production so that the brain is then... Uh, sort of fooled into thinking, oh, there's plenty of energy around, we don't need to reduce movement, we don't need to increase hunger, we don't need to protect against the so called energy deficit that we've been detecting this whole time. Now, the problem is, for one meal or one day, it's almost certainly unlikely to occur to any significant degree that you'll get a physiological change. So psychologically, it can be a bit of a relief for someone to have a cheat meal or a refeed day or something like that. Um, It might make them feel like they can handle the coming week a little bit better because they have a little bit more calories around to train with. But the reality is, is that we're not causing much of a hormonal or physiological change. And so I would recommend that a refeed period should be at least one week long, if not two. And that's because it takes that amount of time for the brain to recognize and recalibrate that there is enough energy available for it, and therefore to affect things like leptin sensitivity and leptin production. At the end of the day, if you're having a refeed or a cheat meal, those are still incoming calories that have to be dieted off at some point. So you may be providing a short psychological break, um, but extending the diet at the end of the day, which may be harder to tolerate uh, anyway. So, you know, you gotta be careful with and judicious with where you use something like this. Now there's multiple forms of a refeed you can use. You could have a high calorie day, you could have a high carbohydrate day. Generally speaking, if we use a refeed or a diet break, I prefer most of those calories to come from carbohydrates because they help to restore glycogen. They tend to uh, have a greater effect on the hormonal, on the hormonal side of things that we're looking to affect. And you could also do a version of refeeding where you essentially do carb cycling or calorie cycling throughout the week or the training phase. Now, you might want to match some days, hard training days, with more calories or more carbohydrate, and I think you would be justified in doing that. Other people say that you might want to actually put those extra calories or carbohydrates on your rest days because, after all, after you train, the recovery period is happening in between training sessions. And so it makes sense to have more calories around when that's occurring in between training sessions. Um, You might throughout a training phase, let's say it's four weeks long, and volume is increasing throughout that training phase, you might start to put a little bit more calories in those those weeks where, uh, you know, the volume is higher. All of that is justifiable. There's no right or wrong answer here. And it's all context dependent. So it's just something that you have to have a little bit of a think about and justify. But I will say this, I very, very rarely use refeeds because I don't think the utility of them in terms of inducing a physiological change is really worthwhile. Because like I said, at the end of the day, you still just have to diet off those calories anyway. And so if I am gonna increase calories that need to be dieted off at some point, I want a physiological change. So the 24-hour refeed, just bringing people back up to maintenance for 24 hours does not result in an increase a significant increase in metabolic rate. You do get a little bit more just from digesting and absorbing that food, but it's not very much. Um, it may still hold some psychological or physiological benefit, just the increase in, in glycogen, for example, may result in better training quality in the next few days. It gives you a small psychological break, like I mentioned, but it obviously has those potential drawbacks. For some people, it actually may result in a binging cycle which is really not what we want to get into especially with people as they go into a competition because that post-comp rebound is going to be really bad if you've basically been reinforcing binging behavior the entire diet up to that point so be careful with that if you do choose to use a 24-hour refeed i prefer using it earlier on in the diet when there's less metabolic slowdown that has occurred In other words, you don't really have a lot of metabolic slowdown that you need to try and mitigate from a physiological standpoint. So having a refeed there um, would probably work okay, but you have gotta be careful that you don't go over the weekly maintenance calorie target. I've talked a lot about this, but I prefer using weekly calorie targets, which means we can make adjustments if a day is a little bit over or a little bit under from where we want it to be. So one strategy you can use for continued fat loss is to focus on a weekly deficit target and just configure the diet so that six days are in a deficit and one day is your high day where you eat at maintenance and it still results in an overall deficit for the week. This strategy works really well for people who have lifestyle commitments or uh, requirements where they might want to eat a little bit more say on the weekend and you can still set up the diet. Even in competitors in the early stages, you can still do this um, early on in the diet provided obviously all your ducks are in a row otherwise, um, provided you're still getting that um, that calorie deficit for the week. Now you can also do carb or calorie cycling, which is essentially what I just explained. So we're varying levels of calories or carbs on different days throughout the week. So you might have two low calorie days a week or f- and five days at maintenance, um, which one study shown to be quite effective compared to continuous dieting. Um, It may help stave off metabolic adaptations by doing that. And the implementation is pretty straightforward. Essentially, like I said, you set the weekly deficit, you configure two or more days, which are usually in a row, that will be at maintenance, and then you achieve the weekly deficit by spreading the remaining calories on the other days. And this method works really well with general population clients, um, especially those who want to eat a little bit more on weekends and be a bit social. So I tend to use that kind of thing uh, with general pop clients as a default, to be perfectly honest. And I think the concept of that weekly deficit is infinitely useful. It really, really helps people a lot. All right, so all of that said, let's move on to the diet break. So a diet break is essentially just a longer period of bringing calories back up to maintenance levels. And when I say maintenance, it's not your original maintenance, because remember, at this point, you would have lost some weight. So what we're looking to do is recalculate your new maintenance based on your current body weight. And the goal is not to gain or lose fat during this diet break period. So the whole point is to avoid psychological burnout. It gives you a break from dieting. It helps mitigate stress. So both psychological stress and the physical stress of being in a deficit. And it also helps provide nutrients to enhance recovery from training. So if you're feeling beat up, if you're getting sick, uh, injuries are starting to occur, things like that. It might be an idea to consider a diet break. And you can plan these ahead of time, meticulously plan them ahead of time. You know, I'm going to diet for eight weeks, and then I'm going to have a two-week diet break, and then eight weeks again. And you can sort of plan that whole thing out. And this works quite well if you have commitments. Like some people might have their, you know, their birthday week. They might have something like Christmas or another holiday. Um, They might actually have a holiday that they're going away on for two weeks or whatever it is. So you can plan those pretty meticulously, or it could be loosely planned. So you might say, look, I'm going to diet for the next 20 weeks, and I'm going to plan for two diet breaks during that time, and I'm going to use them ahead of time when I feel like the dieting is getting a little bit psychologically too hard, I'm feeling beat up, and I'm feeling really stressed. I think it should be used ahead of time. Don't wait until you're broken before checking the engine, right? Um, It should be used as a prophylactic to psychological breakdown. You don't want to get to that point where you're completely wrung out and stressed and feeling basically completely sick before using the diet break. It should be a change of oil before you have engine problems, basically. So the energy expenditure slowly decreases during a diet, so that makes further weight loss more challenging. And this is due partly to reduced body mass. It's partly due to reduced combinations to non-exercise activity. And it's partly due to that adaptive thermogenesis slash metabolic adaptation that we spoke about at the start of the podcast. A reduction of around 10% body weight can result in almost a 30% reduction in energy expenditure. And it varies between people. Some people will be as little as 10%, some people it'll be as much as 30%. So it's not going to be a linear relationship and it's going to be different based on the individual. Um but this reduction is completely reversible by increasing calorie intake back up to maintenance or a very small surplus. So therefore, if you've been in a deficit for a reasonable length of time, let's say like eight weeks, and that's not a hard rule, um, but I'll talk a bit more about that, you might benefit from a diet break. Now, the, the eight week thing is just because a lot of people just take a diet break because dieting is hard. And it's like, no shit. If you diet and you're doing it properly, you're going to be hungry. It's going to be hard at times. You're going to want to eat more food. That's how it works. That's what dieting is. That's what fat loss is. So, you know, I wouldn't be too trigger happy with it. Put it that way. If you're dieting for around eight weeks, it means you've given it a good, uh, a good go. And then you might be ready uh, for that diet break. But some viable strategies are to do things like two weeks on and two weeks off. There's a study that used that protocol with quite a lot of success. But of course, bear in mind if you're doing those short dieting periods, then it's just gonna take you longer to reach reach the weight loss goal. So I think there's a happy medium where, you know, six to ten weeks of dieting with a diet break somewhere after that period is probably a happy medium where you've got enough time to lose a fair bit of body fat. It's not so long that you're ripping your hair out, like 20 weeks long, um, and then the diet break comes at the right time for you. Now, the implementation of this is fairly straightforward. All you need to do is come back up to maintenance, like I mentioned before. So you're recalculating your new maintenance. You cut back a little bit on energy expending activities if you're doing a lot of that. Um, So if there's a lot of cardio involved, like a lot of training that's quite intense, you just wanna cut back on that a little bit, give your body a chance to recover. And the goal is essentially to maintain where you are. So you're trying to maintain your body fat where it is. You're trying to maintain your weight, but it is gonna fluctuate a little bit because if you're gonna have a little bit more carbohydrate coming in, you're gonna see an increase in glycogen stores, which is gonna increase your weight a little bit. Um, But then again, if you have the, uh, the carbohydrate coming in, you might also see a reduction in water being held subcutaneously underneath the skin because your stress levels are going to drop. So when your stress levels drop, you drop all that water that you're holding as well, and that could reduce your weight. So weight might move around a little bit, but regardless, you want to try and maintain your body fatness. So you do this for a minimum of one week. You could go up to three or four weeks, but generally I stick with the average is about two weeks. Um, And again, you might experience some small weight loss due to cortisol reductions and having water weight drop. And that's essentially it. You don't need to overcomplicate it any more than that. Like I said, the, the, the calories should come mostly from carbohydrates and that's it. It's pretty simple. It's pretty straightforward. It's a really good way of psychologically dealing with dieting. Now, personally, I kind of use this in a crash dieting way. Uh, <laughs> and the reason why is because I don't like dieting for a long period of time. I get really impatient. If I'm dieting, I want to go hard and I want it to be brief uh, and painful, but to get the result. And so i might do a 50 percent calorie deficit for something like two to four weeks and i'm already pretty lean i try and maintain a fair level of leanness throughout the year um, and that brings down my body fat quite significantly and then i uh, go back to maintenance for a while and i take another run at it if i feel i need to Um, that can be very motivating for people uh, if they have that initial fast weight loss because something's happening they really feel that something's occurring But they also have the end in sight, they have that diet break to look forward to. And it's only a short period away. So you can you can maintain that focus and, you know, really get stuck in and it's quite hard to diet at a 50% deficit 40 or 50%. But if you can do it for two, three, four weeks, you know, you're going to come back up to maintenance. And for many people, that's much more manageable than thinking, Oh, man, I'm going to be dieting for four or five months, even if it is only like a 20% deficit. All right, I'm going to wrap it up there, guys. So nice and brief. I hope that really helps you. Um, You can find me on Instagram, underscore Luke Tulloch. Any inquiries, please go to the Flex Success website uh, under coaching inquiries, and I'll catch you in the next one. Cheers.